0: This is my intention today. If we're feeling hopeless, that we would feel hopeless together. If we're feeling sadness, that we would feel sadness together. If we are feeling anger, then we would feel anger together. If we would feel bewilderment, then we would feel our bewilderment together. If we can feel these things together, then maybe, perhaps, we may feel some hope together. But I will be clear. I am today not rushing towards hope. That would feel entirely false. So perhaps hope, like a grace, will find us together. I'd like to open this space by sharing a story. As part of this Spirit Flicks series we do this summer, finding meaning, messages in the movies, finding spiritual depth in the stories that surround all of our lives. Today's story is a good story. It's one of my favorite stories I've seen in the last three to five years. It's a gorgeous story, and it's a painful story. Now, the facts of this story could not be more different from the facts of most of our lives. I don't believe any of us have ever actually been in outer space. I don't believe any of us have ever been astronauts. But a good story, and the meaning in a good story, can help us identify our feelings, especially feelings that exist on the extreme of our human experience as part of the human experience. So today I just want to start with the name, the very simple, meaningful name of this movie. Gravity. Feeling the weight of gravity. Gravity, heaviness, gravity, leadenness, gravity. So many feelings this week. So much heaviness. This week, we saw, or many of us saw, the killings of two human beings Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, on video two human beings, two black human beings, who seemingly, as much as we can see, posed no mortal threat in the moments before they were shot to the police officers who took their lives. They were left to die and bleed out, with no help rushing to their aid. I have seen numerous people die before. But not like this. And if you watch the video, you know it's nothing like those of us who've seen a lot of movies, and I'm example A of that. It is nothing at all like what we see in the movies. And then, of course, on Thursday night, at the conclusion of a peaceful rally protesting police brutality against black people and people of color, An assault, an ambush, an atrocity. And also a terrible irony because from all of what we can understand, the Dallas Police Department was one of those police departments that got it. That had seen civilian complaints against its officers plummet over the last five years. That was protecting without armoring up the protesters of Black Lives Matter. And then a sniper or snipers... Other plotters, we don't know yet, shot a dozen police officers, killing five of them. Intentional, targeted murder. A week of gravity. A grave week. A week of graves. Terrible, out of the blue death. And so maybe what you're feeling today or have this week, part of what I've been feeling, is actually maybe the opposite of gravity or maybe gravity's partner, the heaviness, the leadenness, the weightiness. Maybe you feel that we're all just going to fly out of orbit, that we're unmoored, that we're all coming undone. In this movie, if you've seen it, catastrophe strikes, catastrophe hits. And without warning, Sandra Bullock's character is flown head over heels, head over heels, head over heels into infinite space, unmoored, untethered, alone. It is terrifying. It is disorienting. It is, I have to say, one of the most anxious things I have ever seen on film. And then even when that part of the movie is done and she's tethered back in, She's running out of air, running out of time, running out of life because multiple systems all around her are failing. Then we find out this other thing about Sandra Bullock's character, that she is already carrying the weight of a terrible despair with her that perhaps is the thing that motivated her to go out of space in the first place is that she had the worst loss a parent can have, which is the death of her child. So even before the catastrophe, there was a trauma. And even before she was unmoored, she was disengaged. She was disconnected. She was estranged from her own heart. And you get the sense, at least for most of the movie, that she doesn't want to face it. That she doesn't want to pay attention. That she wants to go elsewhere in the hope of being there might make her forget the pain that she carries around. That's a temptation. She's like us. I get it. Although, you know... We all showed up today, and that counts for something. The truth is, who wants to face such awfulness as this week? I get the temptation. Years ago... In the beginning of my own still deeply imperfect journey as a white person to understand race and racism and the effect of people of color on this country. When I first preached about this, I got a very pointed, and I mean pointed like the person was almost pointing me right here in the chest. I don't come to church to hear or to see things like this. And I got to tell you, like my immediate thing, the way my mind works is, oh, what did I do wrong? Then I recognize I didn't do anything wrong. Each of us has a choice to face or to not. That is our choice. No one can compel us. What I'd say now to that person, if I had a chance to be with them again, is quoting from one of my Episcopal friends who in the center of their faith, it's the Lord's table, the communion, the Eucharist, the sharing of one body representing the life, the body that we all share. Who shared with me some years ago that on difficult Sundays like today, they offer a prayer that says, Forgive us, Lord, when we come to your table for comfort only and not for challenge. Forgive us, Lord, when we come to your table for comfort only and not for challenge. I understand the urge to not want to see and not to want to face. But we're in a community whose one of the core values is living with integrity. Humility and vulnerability necessary to listen to our lives and to relate to what's there even if we don't like it. If spirituality is about anything, and especially maturing and deepening spirituality, it's about this clearing the pathways of our perception so that we can allow ourselves to really touch reality and not live with a gauzy film around ourselves so that we're disconnected and living in a fantasy world. One of my favorite quotes, I've been working with this for almost two decades now, is by Oliver Wilde, who has not thought normally of a spiritual teacher, as a spiritual teacher. But he says this, Whoever can see the loveliness of the world and see its sorrow and recognize something of the wonder of each is in immediate contact with divine things and has got as close to God's secret as anyone can get. We can't just see the beauty. We can't just search for the comfort. Awareness, if we are practicing and expanding awareness, that awareness is like an ever-expanding balloon that expands on all sides and ultimately includes more of life. And part of that more, of course, is the difficult stuff. Like this Sunday. And so this week again, I took the vow again, I will continue to have to continue to take it, that as a white person, I vow to pay more and deeper attention to the experience of black and brown people in America, whose experience, by and large, has been very, very different from my own. I posted something on my Facebook page, for those of you who are my Facebook uh, friends, by a woman named Nicole Hannah-Jones, writing at the very progressive and wonderful online magazine, ProPublica, that in a relatively brief amount of space, states out convincingly, compellingly, anecdotally, historically, numerically, why the experience of white people in America and the experience of black and brown people in America with officers of the law has been, on the whole, drastically different. And this is painful for many of those of us who are white. Because it's not our reality. And if it's not our reality, well maybe we think it doesn't exist. We might dismiss it. We might say, no, they're overplaying it. This is the path of denial, and denial cannot help us grow. And by the way, it's not just places like ProPublica. i got to tell you, one of the most amazing things I saw this past week, some of you shared it, was a post from redstate.org. Red State is one of the most conservative places online with a profound, searing, and honest white person's articulation of the fact that to be black in America is to have, on the whole, an entirely different relationship to the police. And it's beyond just... Alton, and Philando. Those individual cases are heartbreaking. But it's about a system. It's about our system. It's beyond the individual officers. Yes, I feel compelled to say it. There are many, many good officers, good police officers, just as there are certainly some absolutely rotten ones. And I believe policing is necessary But when that ends the debate right there, there are some good, there are some bad. What it fails to take account of are our systems. And our systems are failing us. Our systems of criminal justice fail us and they dehumanize others. When you put together the amount and the ubiquity of guns and poverty and despair and racism and white supremacy, it's not just one thing. We spend, and here I am talking specifically to people with skin like mine, We spend, and when I say we, most of the people passing these laws are people with skin like mine. We pass these laws in the name of our safety that incarcerates and punish and the devastation like bombs going off one after another after another, although hard to see if we don't look and communities of color are devastating. Just this past week, in one of those brief moments when I wasn't paying attention to St. Paul or Baton Rouge or Dallas, I read something on the front page of the Inquirer. Yes, we still get the paper delivered every day. My wife's a television news journalist. She believes in supporting newspapers. Right there on the front page of the Inky, on the Inquirer, the Inky. I love we call it the Inky. There was this story, this heartbreaking story about how our systems fail and how they dehumanize a story about bail for potential, not even convicted, juvenile offenders in Philadelphia. They haven't been convicted of any crime, and many of them, because they are from situations in which their families do not have money, spend months, months in jail before being convicted of anything. And you know what? Even if they're not eventually convicted, they come out traumatized. And they come out more likely to commit future crimes. Some people, the inside of this justice system is not a justice system. It's a meat grinder. We spend billions every single year. We have the resources, but I fear that at least so far, we don't have the one resource that's most necessary. The willingness to try something different beyond mass incarceration willingness to have a moral imagination that sees others' lives as differently. We are miserly in our moral imagination. We don't have to be. There are other resources. I posted some this past week. Many of you know about it already. It's something called Campaign Zero. It is specific policy proposal about how we can change the relationship between communities of color and police officers, hopefully keeping both more safe in this country. Yes, this election season is interminable, and I want it to be over already with all the stories about the personalities and who said what and who did this. But if we scratch the surface and we go deeper, we will see on the local, on the state, on the federal level, there are people running for election. I'm not going to tell you to vote for them. I can't tell you who to vote for. But that there are policy proposals that will make a difference in how we spend our money. To punish or retribution, or to restore, because what we are doing is not working. It's not working. We sing, we believe in a better way. This is a chance, a time, to believe in a better way. In this moment of being disoriented, in which we may not know up or down, that's one of the things in the movie, there's no up and down in space. Perspective shifting all the time and a time in which maybe we might look beyond left or right, we see that the choice is really this. The choice is about distancing, not paying attention, saying that happens to other people over there, someplace else. Not my problem, not my responsibility, even if it's done in my name. The choice is between distance or closeness. The moral choice is between far and near. This distancing costs others' lives. I would say even if it doesn't affect us personally, like our families, like our communities, it costs us our common humanity. It costs us love, compassion, connection, One of the things I most firmly believe above all else is that when Jesus said the kingdom of God is inside of you, he was pointing to the essential truth that there is the all that is in each and the each that is in all. And that means all the fear, all the compassion, all the love, all the connection is absolutely real. But if we don't open ourselves to it, then what we're costing ourselves is a birthright blessedness. The kingdom of God is inside of you. All of us, our distancing costs us estrangement. So to make this choice over and over and over again, to recognize our differences, but not to assert our separateness. To make the choice to be here, to be clear, to be near, to be dear to one another. Really, the choice is to remember gravity, right? morally and spiritually is to remember gravity that universal force that elemental force that brings all bodies of energy together even at infinite distances truth is that gravity adheres us gravity pulls us together the truth is of course if you look at the earth from the outside from space we're just floating here but it doesn't have to be alone One of the things this movie does so well is it scales our smallness. And it also scales and shows the necessity of our connection. This perhaps is the most profound spiritual practice that there is to remember our connectedness. One of the things I have been reflecting on this week and did a self-guided practice of is something they offer in mindfulness retreats here. It's Tara Brock, my favorite teacher, Buddhist teacher, psychologist. She does a meditation called inner space. Some of you have done it, this practice with me. It starts out, imagine the space between your ears. Imagine the space between your ears. And maybe you're thinking if you've started this meditation is the first time when I did it, when she did it, okay, am I supposed to start thinking of something? But then it just moves on. Imagine the space within your heart. Or imagine the space around your heart. Imagine the space within your belly. Imagine the space within your legs. Imagining the space within your feet. Imagining the space between your feet. And the floor, imagining the space between you and the person next to you, imagining the space amongst all the people in the room, imagining the space between this room and the next room and on and on and on and out and in it goes, imagining the space. And all I can tell you, because I can't convey this, it can't be taught, it can only be caught and experienced, is that something shifts when we imagine the space within our earth. And around our earth. And we recognize that we are all in space. Together. This is the spiritual practice to remember to gravitate. That we gravitate towards each other. This is what saves Sandra Bullock's character if you've seen the movie. She remembers that she is not alone. Alone that she remembers even to the point of beyond death that these connections can save us if we remember them and when i say I save us i don't mean in some sense it's going to make it all okay right because what happened this week may happen again probably will we hope it doesn't Maybe another Alton Sterling, another Philando Castile, another Sandra Bland, another Eric Garner, another Amadou Diallo. I could go on with the names over and over again because white supremacy and fear of black bodies and black lives in America is as old as America and it won't go away tomorrow. There may be, we hope there isn't, another terrorist act. Those who express their pain, their anger their fear, their rage, their hopelessness through horrific acts of mass violence and have been doing this since before we can recall. In the midst of a week like this, it is even more important to ask ourselves, how are we practicing disarming? How are we practicing demilitarizing? How are we practicing de-escalating? our systems, and ourselves. So many weapons, just as many guns as people, we're told. So many words as weapons. How do we refuse to participate in systems of violence? And when I say refusing to participate in systems of violence, it has nothing at all to do with passivity. This is one of the misunderstandings going around. It's one of the things I think is really important in our progressive spiritual tradition to remember. That the commitment to nonviolence is not the commitment to the status quo. It is so easy to turn Dr. King into a symbol, into a statue that everyone wants to claim his legacy. But please, folks, let's remember that when he was alive, he was called an agitator. He was jailed. He had death threats every day that his public ministry was in existence. He was told by people like from within a church like this, within this Unitarian Universalist tradition, don't push so much, don't agitate, don't create controversy. He was targeted by the highest levels of power in this country. If we deserve, if we really deserve to call Martin Luther King Jr. our guide right now, Our desire for order cannot be greater than our desire for justice. One of the things I think required of all of us in this country right now is to recognize that there is a holy discomfort, a sacred discomfort that is required. If MLK can guide us and if we deserve him guiding us, We have to recognize that love only wins the most when love is threatened the most because that's when love accomplishes the most. This is why Dr. King said in Strength to Love that he has decided to stick with love because hate is too great a burden to bear. This week has been catastrophic. But we don't have to catastrophize because if we catastrophize out of our fear, we will just perpetuate those same old systems of arming back up and armoring our hearts and we will side with fear and hate even if we don't want to because we will not be committing ourselves to the path of love. Love only wins the most when love is threatened the most because that's when love accomplishes the most. All these catastrophes, we do not have to catastrophize. We are here today floating in space. If we look at it from the outside, the world looks like an island in a sea of blackness. We can choose to shrink this world down, this world floating in space to a heart-shaped size in which especially those lives that we do not see first. Our lives that we continue to see. Love only wins if, as Reverend Lee once said beautifully, we choose to play on love's team. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Spirit of each, a part of all, not distant but near, as close as the breath, as intimate as the heartbeat worn, seen, offered to the colors of so many skins. If we are people of privilege, however we would understand that term, may we commit ourselves to the path of enlarging our own hearts so that we are shrinking the distances of our world and inhabiting those spaces with greater love, greater compassion, and greater commitment to justice. May all of us, may all of us recognize that here floating in space, this is our world, the only one that we are promised. May we be among those who take to its tending, its befriending, and its healing. Amen.